Um, if you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 2. We're in uh, the Gospel of Mark in a series that we're calling The Story and Way of Jesus. It's our hope every week to go back to the source documents um, of the story of Jesus um, and what it means to follow Jesus. And that's really our hope, to, to go back there and to immerse ourselves in like, what are the source documents? You know, sometimes following the way of Jesus can get to all about these other things. Let's go back to, the, to, the, to, the, to, the, to like the first gospel written that we have in the New Testament. And um, what does it look like to follow the way of Jesus? And that's what we're trying to do. Today we come to a really important text, especially for the life of our church. You may know this, but we are a community that believes in the practice of the Sabbath. And that this practicing the Sabbath is vitally important to being a follower of Jesus in an overworked and almost always overconnected place. And it's one of the most we believe the most countercultural ways of practicing what we actually believe, that Jesus is Lord and we're not, and we can actually rest for a day, and he runs the universe, and we don't. In a world like, in a city like San Francisco, we think we kind of run everything, and to actually practice away a day, we don't, we actually, we, we, we stop. We've been practicing this as a church community for, actually since the first time I taught this very text in March of 2010, so just about 12 years, um, we've been really trying to lean into this practice. Sabbath is actually a part of our rule of life, our way of life around here. We believe that um, it's important to structure our lives around being formed in the image of Christ. And so because we take Sabbath as such an important practice, I think this text has a lot to say to us because Jesus actually comes against a lot of what Sabbath had become in his day. So I think it's a good warning and good reminder for us. So I'm going to read this text, Mark chapter 2, verses 23 and on, and then I will pray for us. So let me read verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the cornfields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some ears of corn. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So Jesus would have been plucking like these like grain from the top of the cornfield and they would be rubbing it together in their hands and they'd be eating it. And then the Pharisees were like, oh, hey, that's, um, that's wrong, that's unlawful on the Sabbath. You're breaking the Sabbath. And so Jesus answered them, have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions And then he said to the Pharisees, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Another time, verse 1, chapter 3, Jesus went into the synagogue on Sabbath, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill, but they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And his hand was completely restored. And then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians 
how they might kill Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, this morning I pray that um, that we would sit under your scriptures in a way where they're able to purify our motives and bring us back to the heart of worship and um, in a way where the, the, the dross and the and the, the, the junk that gets attached to um, our pursuit of you or our abiding in you or our be, being Christians or being uh, disciples of Jesus, all that stuff will be removed by the precision of the scriptures tonight, this morning. And we pray, I pray that you would anoint me and use me today. In Jesus' name, amen. This last week, the New York Times ran an article talking about how Godparents have been banned by the Catholic diocese in Sicily. Uh, Sicily is the island just off the toe of Italy's boot, if you know um, geography at all. Um, as of two weeks ago, the ancient tradition of naming godparents at your child's christening has been banned for three years because, quote, church officials argue that the once essential figure in a child's Catholic education has lost all spiritual significance. Instead, they say, it has become a networking opportunity for families looking to improve their fortunes, secure endowments of gold necklaces, and make advantageous connections, sometimes with local power brokers who have dozens of godchildren. This is a picture of my godparents, Lupe and Belen. In my Mexican family heritage, we call them Nino and Nina. I was christened as a, as a baby, and they took on the serious duty of introducing me to the Christian faith. As you may know in my story, I didn't grow up in a Christian home or a religious home of any kind, but I did have godparents who took their job seriously of taking me to church, of praying for me, and modeling a life of prayer and devotion to God. When I became a Christian in high school and then later became a pastor, my Nino said to me that they prayed I would be a minister in the Catholic tradition, but being a Protestant was close enough. (laughs) And that they were very proud of me. This is what they prayed for. Actually, at at, um, one of my aunt's funerals uh, a couple years ago, my Nino kept telling the priest that his godson was a pastor and that he should give me a shot at one of the prayers during Mass. <laughs> Kept on bugging the priest. It's like, Monsignor, just give my, my godson's a pastor. Give him a shot at this. Like, let him come up front and do a prayer. But he, he said no. <clears throat> so impactful were my Nina and Nino in my life. I chose godparents for Junie when she was born, my daughter. We went through a private ceremony naming Tarek and Erica as Junie's Nina and Nino. Um, but I, I'll, really, I'll admit that I, I did it for Tarek's collection of gold chains, just to be totally honest. <laughs> I found this article so fascinating as a case study in the ways things leave their intended purpose. The purpose of godparents is simple and beautiful and profound. It's, it's the goal of godparents to become like second parents in the life of their godchild. In some traditions, even more important than parents themselves in raising a child in the faith. It's their number one job. They're to pray for the, their godchild, to host them, to love them, and to show them the way of God. But things have a tendency to drift, 
to morph and deform into something else entirely. We all know this drift. It's like when you decide to finally subscribe to Disney Plus with the intention of doing family movie nights and then over time that drifts and now Disney Plus is like a pseudo babysitter for kids. (laughs) Or when you download a dating app with the intention to find a person who really loves Jesus this time because dating in San Francisco is so freaking hard. And then it drifts after a while and a few dates later to just finding the most attractive person who might have a few things in common with you or just like having fun over a weekend. Or when you have this intention of making or saving lots of money so you can be generous with it, but then you start to have a good savings or you start to make good money or you get a windfall and these original intentions drift into growing your net worth or saving for the next big thing. Or you decided to stay home on Sundays to worship online with the intention of keeping others and yourself safe during the pandemic, and then it drifts into an easy thing to do on Sunday so you can have time to do all the other things that you really always want to do on Sunday, and what's better than waking up and watching church in your pajamas? And so your life is actually starting to get super inconsistent where you do pretty much everything else normal except go to church. I can go on. We drift in all of these ways. Our, cult, our current cultural way, we say this in our jobs today, is that, we, that, that things tend to creep. So you have job creep or responsibility creep or scope creep. When things turn into something else entirely, you sign on for a job, you take responsibilities in your job, and they slowly grow or shift into something you never signed up for. You're like, why am I working at this job? This is not what I signed up for. And things have a tendency to creep. In today's text is about this creep, spirituality creep, I'll call it, when things tend to move away from their true intended purpose. It's about how things like ritual and practices and spirituality and even religion can initially have beautiful meaning and purpose, but then they turn into something else entirely. They go from godparents helping to raise a child in the faith to brokering your child's future to inherit gold chains. The two stories in our text center around the Sabbath. The first story is Jesus is walking with his disciples through a grain field on the Sabbath, which was Saturday for them. And they all got hungry, so Jesus started to pull little heads of grain off of the cornfield, and he was rubbing it in his hands and eating it, and his disciples, who do things that Jesus does, began to do the same thing. So they're all walking to the grain field and they're all plucking off corns and they're like rubbing together. Oh, this is actually pretty good. And the Pharisees see him and we met the Pharisees a few weeks ago and they say, hey, you can't do that on Sabbath. Now you might be thinking, yeah, they're stealing. That's called stealing. They're in someone else's grain field. It's like picking lemons on someone's yard. You're like, that's stealing. That's their property. Actually, there was a contingency in the, in the law of, of the Torah which allowed people of lesser means or people who were poor to actually glean from other people's property to actually take what they can hold in their hands if they were hungry. And so they weren't breaking the law at all. This was actually part of the law. The part that they were breaking was that Jesus was technically reaping. He was reaping on Sabbath work, hand reaping, like just reaping with his hands and putting in his, threshing it in his hands and eating it. Like that whole process is work. That's work right now. And so they try to bust Jesus on a technicality. And the next story, Jesus goes into the synagogue on Sabbath because Jesus did observe the Sabbath. He practiced Sabbath. He was going to synagogue on Sabbath on Saturday. This is what they did. And Jesus sees a man with a 
a crippled hand. And, and Jesus has the man stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus knows that the Pharisees are there. And it says, the subtext of this is that Jesus can actually somehow read the intentions of people's heart. He has the gift of knowledge the spiritual gift of knowledge, so he can read people's hearts or their intentions. And so Jesus has this man stand up in front of everyone, knowing the Pharisees are just watching for a way to bust him. And he says, what's the intention of the Sabbath? What's the true intention of the Sabbath? Is it to do good or to do evil? Is it to save life or to kill? And the Pharisees are there just watching, going, you better not do what I think you're going to do. And then Jesus does something really clever because Jesus doesn't actually do the work of a doctor on Sabbath. He doesn't examine the man. He doesn't fix the man. He doesn't do anything. He just stands there and Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Technically, Jesus didn't do anything. It was a man who did the work. And it wasn't really work because everyone stretches out their hand on Sabbath. And so the man just does this and he's healed. Jesus is like, I didn't do that. I just told the man to stretch out his, I mean, it's just, it's so, it's all this subtext happening. Jesus is like, I wasn't really working on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are like, oh, you were working. That was you. You, you healed. And you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus is like, well, what's the intention of the Sabbath? Is it to do good or evil? Is it to heal or to take life? What is it? What is it? And this man is just standing. He's not a pawn in this because Jesus literally wants to heal this man. And so he stretches out his hand. Now, both stories revolve around the Sabbath's intention and the way it's drifted from its intended purpose. In the first story, Jesus points out how the practice of Sabbath has moved away from the main goal and the main intention when he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for humanity, male and female. God created male and female and then brought them into rest. Like, what are ways that we can build rest into humanity? And so he created Sabbath for and to serve humanity. Not that God created Sabbath. He's like, I need someone to, like, do the Sabbath thing with me. Oh, I'll create humanity to do that. That's not how it went. Actually, it's hard here to pull the spirit of the passage into our world today in a city like San Francisco because we don't religiously observe Sabbath once a week with the express goal of not doing anything or doing everything we can not to work. That is not our experience. We don't pull into Sunday or pull into Saturday, whatever day you observe Sabbath, and go, how do I make sure I don't work today? What is work technically? Is it walking Two blocks or three blocks? It's walking three blocks. So I only can walk two blocks on Sabbath. What is, what is work when it comes to making food? Can I order um, like a, a, a meal through an app on, on Sabbath? If I cook a meal, that's work. But if I order it through my app, it's not work. But if I have my phone on, if I don't check email and have my phone on, that's work. So you, we don't do that. We don't like guard our lives to make sure we don't work on Sabbath. But they did. And so it's kind of hard to pull this this text into today because honestly we our drift is in the opposite direction our sabbath creep is on the opposite side we don't know how to stop the original intention of the sabbath was beautiful written in the code of creation god created the world in six days and then he rested 
Six days of work, of creating, of making, of naming, and ordering, and reordering, and then followed by a day of rest. And when God created humanity, he created us to follow this same rhythm. Commentators quickly and accurately point out that Adam and Eve's first day alive would have been on Sabbath. They were created on the sixth day, and on the seventh day, their first day alive would have been a day of rest. Imagine that, which says a lot about human beings, that we are human beings and not human doings. We were created for work and to work, yes, but our work is done from rest and not for rest. We were created to live into restful rhythms of God's creation. Sabbath is simply a period of time that you stop working so you can rest. Shabbat means cease or stop. And this practice is so important that it literally made the Ten Commandments. Like right up there with don't murder and don't commit adultery. I mean, think about that. You're told not to have false gods, not to murder, not to lie, not to commit adultery, not to steal, and then, oh, also remember Sabbath. You're like, whoa, that's a big leap there from like rest to like don't kill people. Like that's, and it's the only commandment that we actually brag about breaking. No one brags about killing people. No one brags about like lying, but we brag about, oh, I'm so busy, so important, I have no time, no time at all. I'm so busy. Like, oh, you're like bragging about breaking one of the Ten Commandments, by the way. There, there, are, there were two important intentions with regards to the Sabbath and the Ten Commandments. Two intentions. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. These were intentional. This is what God gave to his people. Remember the Sabbath and to keep it holy. It's interesting that most of the other commandments start with thou shalt or thou shalt not but with Sabbath, we're simply told to remember. We're told to remember as if we would easily forget, as if life and work would tend to get easily out of control where we put off resting for a thing we call vacation, and then we do something super big and fun when we go on vacation that it's really not rest at all, so we feel like we need a vacation from vacation. It's almost as if we would do something like that, and therefore we are called to remember the Sabbath. So built in the Ten Commandments, which was the way God's free people were to live in their freedom. You remember the context of the Ten Commandments where Israel was slaves in Egypt and God delivered them and brought justice upon their accusers and their oppressors. And God said, this is the way free people live. They stop, they cease, they rest because slaves don't ever stop. But you are not slaves. You're free. Rest. So the Sabbath is about remembering to stop, to cease, to rest. For my family and I, we practice Sabbath from Friday evening to Saturday evening. I wish we could do Saturday to Sunday night, but I have a thing on Sunday that I typically call work. And so we do Friday to Saturday, and we stop work, and we light two candles to remember the context of the two Sabbath laws in the Torah. One is to imitate God and one is to uh, one is to practice imitation and one is to practice liberation. That we're to be like God, do what God did. He rested, and because we're no longer slaves. My wife says the Sabbath blessing, and my two and a half year old typically copies her, but she's also in her twos now, so she does other things to distract. But whatever, <laughs> and we walk. And we reflect and we play and we lay on the floor to read books with no place to be or to go. We have to stop, not because our work is done. I never pull into Sabbath going, oh, all my work is done, ever. We stop 
because we have to. Some of you know this. You haven't stopped since grad school. You keep going. Adults know that work is never completely done. With every accomplishment, there arises a new responsibility. You do something good, you got new responsibility. Every swept floor invites another sweeping or another cordless dysoning or whatever you do. What Sabbath does is it helps us resist the artificial urgency of our days. It helps us to once a week look at the ways our drivenness pulls us in all directions and we stop and resist the inner Pharaoh that tells us we can never stop or we'll die. We'll lose, we'll lose our relevance. We'll lose our edge. If you stop, you'll die. That's an inner Pharaoh. This is what we're driven by in San Francisco. And we drown that Pharaoh in the sea on Sabbath. We're saying, no. But Jesus is Lord, and he holds the world together, not me. And I'm resting. Now, some of you might be hearing this thinking, oh, this is what I need. I need a day off. But that's not what I'm talking about. You probably do need a day off. I'm not, I'm not talking about a day. I'm talking about the intention of the Sabbath was restoration, to be with God, to rest in God, to remember God. Now, I want to pause right here. I want to do a little exercise with you. If I asked you if you practiced the Sabbath, and I just reminded you of the intention of the Sabbath, let me ask you this. Honestly, has your Sabbath practice drifted? Has it become something that you either try to check off a box every week or something that you say you're spiritual and you're practicing the way of Jesus? What is it to you? Has it drifted from the intention of stopping work to remember God, to delight in God, to remember your humanity, to reflect and be restored by God? Is that the intention of it? What is the intention of your Sabbath? I think one of the greatest threats to our discipleship to Jesus is not thinking and allowing our lives to creep into all these other places that have no real meaning or purpose. We start by doing this one thing and then it drifts into something else entirely and we never stop and ask the question, why am I even doing this? What is the intended meaning and purpose of this? When things we do in our spirituality become motivated from a different place and we do them for different reasons, for the Pharisees, they were practicing Sabbath because they believed from an erroneous interpretation of Jeremiah 17 that if they kept the Sabbath perfectly, and they taught if, you, if everyone in Israel just kept the Sabbath perfectly two times, it would usher in the Messiah. Now, we might laugh at that. I'm like, well, that's silly. You're not going to do that. And it's actually ironic because the Messiah was in their midst. And they're trying to work up a perfect Sabbath ritual. And Jesus was messing that up. They're like, well, you don't understand. If we get this right, the Messiah will come. Jesus is like, I'm like here. I'm right here. See, we do this, but we do this a, a lot too. We might laugh at that, but we too practice our spirituality to try and make God do what we want. We fast to get a spouse. We read our Bibles and pray every day in hopes that God will answer our prayers and bless our company or get us a job or into that dream home or whatever. We might not call ourselves religious, but we, we do religious crap all the time. Now, here's the way 
our, our spirituality creeps. Here's a way that the intentions of, of the way that we practice the way of Jesus creeps into different things. And I want to share two of them. I think they're pretty important. The first is our spirituality creeps into forms of religion. Now, you might not think this is a big deal, but a lot of us actually do this without even knowing it. We, not, we might not be religious like the religious people we see on the news and different religious people that we know don't live in San Francisco, they live in other parts of the country or whatever, but that happens to us too. There are different ways that, that our spirituality creeping into forms of religion manifests. The first is we try to get God to do what we want. That's a form of religion. If I do this incantation, if I do the right formula, it'll unlock something unique that God wants to do. And God's bound by me doing the right things for him to move. That's religion. The reason why Jesus brought up David, which is a very fascinating, fascinating passage if you actually you study it in context, because there's a few things that, David, that Jesus said about this story that weren't actually true. Like it wasn't actually the time of Apathar the priest. It was the priest before Apathar. And there's all, all kinds of different interpretations of this. Jesus was calling their mind to a section of Scripture, which a- actually happens all the time. Or Jesus was, was subverting what they thought this story was really about. Because when David did eat the showbread inside the temple, um, a lot of people died because of that. Um, actually, uh, Saul had hundreds of priests killed because David did that. And Jesus could have been pushing at this story for a couple different reasons. One of them being um, what David did was an an actuality uh, against the law. And what the Pharisees wanted was to usher in the new David, the Messiah. And what Jesus was saying was the way that the old David brought about God's kingdom was by strange means not holding to the strictness of your laws. And I'm the new David, and I'm doing the very same thing to show you that the way that the kingdom of God is brought in is not through your strict adherence to the laws. So Jesus was doing all this subversive stuff. But we do the same thing. We were like, if I just do this thing and obey these rules, then God will have to do what I want him to do. And this, this shows up all the time. But the other, the other way that our spirituality creeps is it creeps into self-righteousness where I'm better because I do this. Well, I hold to all the practices of the way of Jesus. I'm way better than you. Now, if you have a hard time thinking what this would be like, I don't know people like this at all. Well, just think think of, um, imagine the way that that vegans treat the rest of the world. Then you'll pretty much hit, like, where, where this is going. Like, this is, like, I'm better than you because of what I do. And the way I see the world, I'm better than you, and all of you are just wrong, and you treat the world wrongly. I do the right thing. This happens, this is basically where our politics are right now, self-righteousness. And, we, and, we, and it turns into, the, the last kind of movement of religion, it turns into anger and hatred towards those that don't do what you do or think like you think. Think of the Pharisees that hated Jesus so much because he kept on breaking the Sabbath that they plotted to kill him on the Sabbath. They plotted to kill him on the Sabbath, which is breaking the Sabbath in a couple ways. Number one, it's plotting. You're not allowed to plot on Sabbath. That's work. But also it's murder. You can't murder on the Sabbath. Like that's against the law too. That's against all kinds of commandments, right? But they were doing this. This is what religion does. It, 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 it makes you sideways and crazy and you start trying 
you, you break your own laws to protect yourself or to protect your self-righteousness. Spirituality creep, when our spirituality creeps into forms of self-righteousness or religion. But there's a second, oh, well, let me, let me stop here. There's a solution to this, by the way. If you find yourself here, and it might be just a few of you, but if you find yourself here where your spirituality has crept into forms of religion, here's how you return to the intention of, your, of, spiritual, of spiritual practices or spiritual realities. The goal of spiritual practices are love. You and I must return to the goal of love. That we would become the kind of people who are loved by God and love in return. So why do we pray so that we become the kind of people that through prayer know how to receive the love of God and then from receiving the love of God know how to love people in return? Why do we fast so that we could become the kind of people that know how to not be ruled by our fleshy passions but ruled by the Spirit of God so that we can love each other through self-giving like Jesus did. All the intentions of spiritual practices is to make us people that love. So return to love. Return to the, am I becoming a more loving person through this? The second way our spirituality creeps, and I think this is way more of a problem in our culture, and our city, and our kind of in San Francisco and other major cities, our spirituality creeps into forms of humanism. Now, I see this happen all the time. What I mean by that is our fasting becomes dieting, intermittent fasting. Why are you, why are you fasting? Because it's just, I just want like a perfect body, and I think it's better for my digestion and all this. It turns into humanism, right? It's, Sabbath becomes digital detox because that's super trendy. Simplicity becomes minimalism where you own very expensive things, but you own a few expensive things, not a bunch of clutter in your house. Now, a powerful case study for this is, um, uh, if you might have heard of uh, Peloton, this like, very popular stationary bike that has a screen on it, right? Um, my wife and I won one years ago, um, and um, I tried to, to ride it occasionally. And my favorite, class is called Sundays with Love. It's Ali Love, who's the best instructor on Peloton. If you don't agree with me, you're crazy. You just don't know what good is. So um, she's so good. And she started doing these things a few years ago called Sundays with Love, which is um, uh, the intended purpose was to get people on Sundays to ride the bike and think spiritually through the medium of a Sunday bike ride. To, to think spiritually. But, so I want you to think like soul cycle, but with an actual soul. Like this girl has a soul, like a deep soul, okay? Now each ride would have a theme that looked very much like the fruit of the Spirit. Now I heard, I've heard that she's a follower of Jesus. So there would be like love and joy and peace and kindness and she would just do, like, follow, like, parts of it would be fruits of the Spirit. And in the middle of the ride, she would play a legit worship song. Like a legit one in the middle of the ride. So there'd be all these other music, and then the middle would just be a worship song. And she would either sing or cry or just be silent and let it just permeate. It, it was subversive. She was, like, getting all of these, like, secular, progressive people that buy Peloton and just care about their body and stuff just to think about this stuff on a Sunday. It was genius. And they took a break. And they came back with this this past Sunday, 
And um, I, I mean, I don't blame her necessarily. I think, you know, she has producers and people that write the stuff or whatever. But the season opens with a new focus, the self. Your self-realization. Your self-actualization. She said, she said, it's all about something else to live for, you. And then once where she played the song Oceans on the ride in the middle, the worship song Oceans, she now played How Far I'll Go from Moana, which is ironic because if you know both of these songs, they're both about the ocean. But one is about obedience to God, walking on open waters, and the other is about finding yourself as you traverse the open waters. Totally different. And the point is this. This is the typical progression of spirituality in our city or in cities like our city. It turns into a form of self-enlightenment, self-actualization, self-realization. It's all about me. We Sabbath because I need a break. We fast because I want to look good and be in tune with my inner self. We do all these things for us, for our self. Now, how do we return to the intention? Here, remember spiritual practices are about union with God. If you know anything about um, spiritual practices or the desert mothers and fathers or anything like that, you know that they're always telling people to know thyself, know yourself, learn yourself. For what? Know thyself to know God. Why? Because the, the, the Christian faith teaches a mystical union between you and God. Christ in you, the hope of glory. A union with God that you practice. You know yourself so you can know God who's in you and then you in God. And you know yourself so that you can be aware of yourself in ways that you're not being yourself, in ways that you're becoming someone other than yourself, so that God can be formed in you, because your true self is yourself and God. Now, if you notice, I'm, I haven't really got that much into the second story of our text, and that's because... I just taught on this passage last year during the summer when our world was on fire with all the racial stuff. And I gave one of, I think, honestly, one of my best teachings on this passage is in a sermon called Social Justice and the Way of Jesus. It was a teaching that, that it's a teaching where several people, a lot, a lot of people in our church, left our church over. Longtime friends and members of our church, and it saddened me, and it sits with me to this day, but after re-listening, there's a few things I'm thankful for. One, that sometimes pastors are ignored. I was glad I wasn't ignored. I was glad it's like, if that's what you mean following Jesus is, I don't want any part of it, I'm leaving. I'm like, well, at least you listened to me. And after listening to it and reading the notes, I don't think I take anything back, but I would add one thing. I would add, the context of the Sabbath is justice. The context of the Sabbath is justice. If you go back and read in Exodus... God gave the people of Israel Sabbath to practice after he delivered them from injustice and wanted them to live in under a just system and wanted them to treat everyone who, A, worked for them or were in their land with justice. So everyone Sabbaths, even your, your land Sabbaths. It's not that you don't work, but then your land keeps working or you don't work and the people that work for you keep working or you don't work and your animals keep working. No, your animals get a break too. 
It was justice. And so when I taught this, I believe right here Jesus is going after the injustice, the systems of injustice in that day, subtly and not so subtly. And so I already taught on that. I won't do that again. Go back and listen to it. But here's how I want to close. Where does it hurt right now for you? Where's the pain in your life right now? In your life with God, where's the pain? In your spirituality, in your spiritual practices, where's the pain? Has prayer lost its meaning? You pray, but you're like, why, do, why, why am I even praying right now? As a church, you ask, I go to church, why? Why, why church? Marriage is blah. Maybe Sabbath just feels like trying to take a day off with no wonder at all. There's no wonder or amazement at who God is, and Sabbath is just kind of a day we don't do things. Or does your generosity feel like you just gave your hard-earned money away when you could have spent it on something cool for yourself? Where's the pain of your life right now? Sometimes things in life and our spirituality get mundane, and we need to be reminded of the beginning, of the intention of the hope. And so Jesus would do things like pick up a cute child, like a cute one in the con, like I was just downstairs with the kids as they were going through the hallway and just like, like kids, cute kids going to church is the cutest thing in the whole world to me. And every single one I want to pick up, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so cute. Oh my gosh. Like I, all, every single one of them, there's like all of them as they go, their badges on their back and they're all going into church. It's like, Jesus does this in the context of teaching on spirituality, on the context of like gathering people and showing them the way Jesus, he would pick up a cute child and say, this is what it's about. I don't want you to forget, this is what it's about. It's about childlike joy and the way like when it rains, like kids just love jumping in puddles, that joy on their face. It's about trust, the way that kids trust their parents. They just have this connection of trust in them. It's like this is what faith is and what faith is like. This is why, plug, you should all sign up to serve in the children's ministry. Like you learn what Jesus meant by become like a child. The kingdom of God is like this. Return to joy. Return to trust. So for you, if prayer for you feels so mundane. And I'll admit, it's, 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 it's a hard season. So it might be a hard season for you in prayer. You wake up and you're like, I don't know why I'm even here. There's times when I wake up to pray in the morning and it's dark and I'm like, why am I even praying? I could be sleeping right now. It's dark, it's way dark outside. Co this coffee's not even working. Like I'm so tired. Why? And sometimes I have to get back to what is prayer? You get back to the meaning of it. What is prayer? Prayer is being present to the God who is always present with you. And so sometimes when I'm like, what do I even say right now? How do I even pray? I have to stop and go, God, I wanna be present to the God who's always present with me. I wanna be present to you right now, God. Prayer is lifting your heart and your mind to God in prayer. And so sometimes I pray out loud, but sometimes I hate the sound of my voice and I sound silly, so I don't want to pray out loud. So I grab a journal and I start lifting my heart and my mind to God in a journal. And I journal where I just lift everything to God in prayer. And I return to what is it about? Because I get all caught up I'm like, hey, I'm supposed to be intercession. I'm supposed to be like petitioning God. I'm supposed to be doing this. And I just don't feel it. I'm like, I need to return to what it is. What is it? 
being present to God, lifting my heart and my mind to God. Scripture. Some of you read Scripture. What am I even doing with this? Scripture is learning the story of God. What is God like revealed in Christ? And you're just immersing yourself in the story of God. That's what you're doing. You're immersing yourself in the story. You're seeing what's going on, how God acts and reacts, how the people of God act and react. What is, what is Jesus like? All these things. And you ask the Spirit, is there anything today? A verse, a word, something you want to speak to me directly? Why do we go to church? Why are we even here this morning? Some people go to church for community. I just want to be around other people. Some of you, that's the worst part of church. Like, why does there have to be people here? But either way, the, the point of church isn't simply community. It's not, that's like maybe down the list, second, third, fourth. The main point of church is worship. The worship of God which is why we have a call to worship. That's not buffer time for you to get in the sanctuary from like wherever you're parking. It's like to get here to be called into worship, the worship of God. This is why I don't believe church is like, why can't I just do church at home with a couple of friends and we like get to study our, our favorite translation of the Bible and like kind of do things. And like, that's not, that's not church because it doesn't conform to you. You're supposed to conform to it. Every single morning, every single Sunday, the church comes together and we are conformed, even in its formation of it, to God. Not to our preferences, but to God. Because some people come like, I don't like the temperature in the room, I don't like the songs, the leadership, I don't know if I completely trust them or I don't really like them or whatever. That's the, kind of the point. Like you conform to it because you practice every week denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. It doesn't have to be this church, but a church. It doesn't matter. Like, we are to be conformed into this thing. We kind of have to fit into it. That's the point. In Revelation 2, Jesus is speaking to the churches, and he gets to the church of Ephesus, and he says, you have done all of these, like, really good things, but there's one thing that I have against you, and it's that you've, you've forsaken or you forgot your first love. Which means the church is actually doing really good, but they left their intention. They left the meaning. They left the purpose, the telos. Like, what are you there for? Love for God and love for each other. Like, that is what you're there for. And so Jesus is like, I have this against you. You've left this, this first love of yours. And you're doing all of these great works, but you left this first love. And so he, Jesus gives a very simple three-point sermon in one verse. He says this, remember Repent and redo. Remember where you've come from. Remember the intention. Remember the meaning. Remember where you've fallen from. Remember that place that you were at where this had so much meaning and so much purpose. Remember the, 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 the intent of it all. Remember it. What is the intent of the Sabbath? What is the intent of prayer? What is the intent of all these things? Church, what's the intent? And then repent. That means just change your mind and your direction and turn back to that place and then redo. Start doing over again those things you did at the beginning. It's not that hard. It's actually fairly simple. So I'm gonna be silent for just a minute. I'm gonna ask you if you could close your eyes and open your hands. I'm gonna ask the Spirit of God right now to search us to search us and know us. Have our intentions shifted at all? Call to your mind the Sabbath. Call to your mind prayer. Call to your mind the scriptures, generosity, community, however you practice the way of Jesus. 
Spirit of God, search us. Are there ways that what we are doing has left the intention? Maybe we're not doing, thinking about it at all. We're just doing it mindlessly. Bring us back to how we're intentional. Maybe the intent of it has left, and now we're doing it for another thing, and you want us to return to the original intention. And Lord, show us right now how to return there. How do we get back to the heart? How do we return to what you want to do or what you're doing? How do we return to that original intention? Show us and lead us now in Jesus' name.